You just washed up on a desert island in a lifeboat. All you have are the clothes on your back, the materials in the life raft, and whatever you can find in your new haven. You can prioritize different essentials, though. There's shelter, food, water, and maybe even rescue to focus on, and each of them will require your effort and resources, but the priority of one may be replaced by another when the situation changes. You might be prioritizing drinking water only to be hit by a raging storm on your first night and be forced to cobble together some rush shelter. Or you could spend time trying to figure out what edible plants exist on the island when all of a sudden you see a ship sailing across the horizon with no way to signal your existence to them, meaning you'll be stuck longer than you could have had you focused on that rescue. No matter your focus, when you are presented with new information, you'll have to evaluate if a shift needs to occur. Life is about choices and data only tells part of the story. What matters with data is what you do with it. And as an operator of a subscription business, these are the choices that you have to make every single day. And granted, you're probably not making choices with life or death stakes of being stranded on a desert island, but I'm sure at times it can definitely feel like it. Someone who I'd be privileged to be stranded on a desert island with is Derek Steer, CEO of Mode. Derek is on a mission to shorten the time it takes to make decisions, which is ideal when faced with survival. But it's not just about using data the right way with Derek. He even suggests that data might not be all that it's cracked up to be. What does he have to say about that? Well, to find out, you'll have to listen to what's coming up next. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Derek Steer dives deep on data-driven decision-making. In this episode, we talk about two infrastructure shifts with data, having a love affair with caution, unlocking and accelerating human reasoning, the 10-star experience, and questioning the inherent value of data. Yeah, I'll start off like who you are, what do you guys do? So Mode is broadly within the analytics business intelligence space. We help companies figure out what they should do by making it easier for their data teams in particular to work with data, get it out to the rest of the company, and then facilitate other folks using data really effectively. So the difference between Mode and Tableau or Looker or the folks who have come before us most of those companies, maybe all, are focused on building software for people who don't want to write code, right? They are sacrificing flexibility and power in favor of ease of use. And what we've said is the modern company doesn't just want to look at dashboards and understand how they're doing. They want to be able to use data to get to the solution to a problem, and that's why they have data stacks. You know, that's why you use Snowflake and you use all the other stuff. That's why you hire a data team, data scientist, analytics, BI, whatever you want to call it. That's why you hire that team to be able to solve those types of problems. And in order for them to do it, you need to hand them a tool that is flexible enough to get exactly the answer that they need for the particular problem that's in front of them. And that's where Mode comes in. As we basically said, look, these folks are all using Tableau or something like it to do the basic work, and then they have to go outside of it for any one-off problems that come up. They have to go to desktop SQL editors or a Python notebook or Excel or a combination of these things. And in a lot of cases, it might take like four tools just to get through one analysis. And we said, this is stupid. Doesn't make sense. 
right? We should be giving them something that they can do both of these jobs in, where all of the data analysis at your company could theoretically happen in this one place. That's what Mode is today. And you know, that's how we grow going forward is being a place where both the analysts and data scientists and the kind of day-to-day users and consumers can live and get exactly the things that they need. If we take a step back and go to, you know, kind of first principles of this, the data aspects. Like you basically mentioned, like you need data to to make decisions and and you know these types of things. But that's kind of always been true, right? And what makes now versus 10, 20 years ago or whatever, what, what makes it so different? Is it just the deluge of data? Is it the problems are bigger? Like how, how do you think about that from, from your angle? Yep, a couple key events. So in the aughts, what happened was you had Hadoop and then you had other kind of massively parallel databases like Vertica was really popular. But essentially you had an infrastructure revolution at that time that allowed companies to work with much larger amounts of data and to do it cheaper and faster. That was then eclipsed in this decade by Redshift Snowflake, BigQuery, who did it even faster and scales differently, right? Like Snowflake, you can scale storage much as much as you want very cheaply. And the cost equation, especially in terms of maintenance, because like now these things are all cloud-based, you don't have to run them yourself. It is totally different, right? This is two gigantic infrastructure shifts that have facilitated this. The practical application and I've thought about this a lot recently, is the connection of product data, which is where big data comes from, to revenue data, right? So revenue data, typically, that's like the old case for BI, is like revenue data, track your quarterly close, you know, board level metrics, that kind of thing. There's not a lot of data in there, right? So like the big data in the revenue world is like one line per purchase. And historically, that wasn't that big until you got to like, you know, companies like Zynga or other mobile social gaming companies with microtransactions, where actually like, you know, Zynga's poor finance team can't use Excel because if they want to put transaction level data in, Excel takes a million rows. And that's like, you know, Zynga's doing so many transactions. So at that time, Zynga was one of the leaders in how they use data and they built all these great internal tools. The stuff that, you know, inspired mode, really. They did it in order to get beyond the, the basic limitations of software that they had before because Vertica can now handle lots and lots of data. It was fast. You know, they built some lightweight tools on top of it. So they were able to do that in the first place. But also they wanted to join that revenue data against product data. So they had started with tools like Vertica, with tools like Hadoop. They were able to capture enough data about what people were doing in the product every single click, and they were able to run A-B tests across this really broad audience and then tie that to what purchases people are making such that they can make product decisions based on the revenue outcome. That's the big innovation, right? Like if there is a key thing that happened around that time period that completely changed the world of business intelligence away from you know, simple drag and drop stuff being satisfactory. It's the fact that you can now measure your product, tie it to revenue and understand the dynamic there. Take it even further. It's probably also marketing data, right? So it's not just product data, but it's also like up funnel data. Like, do you think about that as well? Or is it, I guess it's not really an interesting conversation around was product data better than marketing data, but I guess where do you put it in, in the context of this? So I think marketing data didn't necessarily need this. So, you know, what's interesting is like Druid, for example, is a database that was developed by a company called Metamarkets for marketing applications. And what it does really well is it, it does aggregations of aggregations super fast, right? So 
that's exactly the way in which you look at marketing data, right? Like aggregate all the clicks for a particular ad, and then you aggregate that again by time period or by cohort or whatever you want, right? So the technology that a lot of people use for generalized BI applications came from the marketing world. The thing about marketing data is that the structure doesn't change much. If you think about campaigns, you know, most of the time people are using UTM parameters to specify, you know, campaign IDs and all the various IDs in that hierarchy. And it's the same at pretty much every company, right? It's like just a standard way of formatting that data. That's actually a good case for traditional drag and drop tools because the data structure never changes. Once you define your data model, it's constant. And so you can just get a lot of value out of traditional tools. So for marketing data in isolation, I actually think the tools that we had 10 years ago were probably pretty good, if not quite good. Where the rubber meets the road or where they become inadequate is in tying that back to other things, right? So if you want to know, like, people who come through this channel, are they more inclined to go down this particular product path or this other particular product path? Those are the sorts of questions that you can now answer that you couldn't answer before. So it's less about the specific type of data and more about the integration of data across different parts of the user lifecycle. Now, what's the biggest like risk you've taken with mode so far? The biggest risks happen in the earliest days, you know, because the further in you get, the more clarity on the market there is, you know, the more you're triangulating off of evidence rather than assumptions. So I think the two big risks are, number one, just like leaving a cushy job at Microsoft. My co-founders and I were at Yammer, acquired into Microsoft, making a bunch of money, could easily have stayed and decided not to. And, and the reason that we decided not to was just that we were so passionate about it. I think we were all super excited to do this and really saw the opportunity. And also for the most part, like I took a personality test recently. Those can go one of two ways, you know, in terms yeah. of positive or negative. Yeah. The caliper assessment, one of our board members is really into it. And so I took it just to kind of see what it was about. And I scored basically a zero on cautiousness, just the most risk loving personality that you could it's possibly imagine. I just don't think about it in the same way as most people is what I've learned. And part of that too is like, look, I just told you that I grew up in a family where my Dad is a high-powered attorney. I had a great education. Like, I have backstops. I recognize that that's an incredibly privileged place to be, but I just evaluate risks differently from a lot of people because I have some degree of a safety net. So that was a part of that decision to leave, obviously. And then the other one, you know, we did something that, in retrospect, I would not have done again. And if I were to start a second company, I would be focused in a way that would eliminate this type of error, which is... When we first started, we thought there was a big opportunity for open source data analysis, kind of in the way that like that GitHub was doing for software development. So, you know, this is back in 2012, 2013. It's just becoming clear that GitHub is at escape velocity. The notion of like harnessing an open source community and then building a, a commercial business around that, it felt like a great idea. And businesses solve the same types of problems over and over. So maybe we can get people sharing their models across businesses and, and that that can create some kind of open source groundswell that will lead to the type of business that GitHub has. And it turned out to not work. The thing that I realized here that was the mistake was GitHub was solving a problem in open source. Like there's a big yeah, open source sense. community that was already doing their thing. GitHub was just helping them make their lives easier. There's not a community doing that in the data world, right? People are not sharing models in the same way today. There are folks who build, like you think about Profit, for example, coming out of Facebook, the Python library. That is an example of how people share modeling, right? They share packages 
that you can incorporate, you know, if you want to layer on top of pandas and the other kind of common stuff that people use in the data science stack, you know, that is a way that they do it. But that also lives on GitHub, right? It's closer to software development than it is to like what we had originally imagined. So this was a pretty big failure for us. And we moved away from it kind of consistently through Mode's lifetime. It wasn't something that we had validated a customer need for. It was just a vision that we had and we started building toward it. And that I think it was a risk that did not pay off. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But it is one of those things. It's hard to see that before it happens. Like just because the assumptions you made seem like the right ones. I was going to say, I think it would have been easy to see had we bothered to check. Like we really were heads down like this. Sure. This is like why we want to start the company because like if we could do GitHub for this, it would be huge. Got and it. like data.world is another company that has taken a slightly different tack on this, but like similar goal. And I think they've moved away from it too, right? So we haven't been the only ones to try this. Other people have had this same vision and let's just like pretty consistently clear that the community isn't naturally moving in that direction. Yeah. What was David Sachs like? Just fun question. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that he has taken a little bit more of a public persona. And I guess that that's yeah, part of just branding too. yourself in, yeah, in yeah, venture yeah. world. Because he's he's not that guy. And I think the fact that he took the number two job originally at, at Zenefits kind of speaks to who he is, which is that like he's a builder. He understands very much how companies work and how to build. There are few people with the kind of single-minded focus that he has on just building things and doing it in the right way. And he's got the right blend of like, listen to the market, but like great intuition on his own. He's an intimidating person to work for, for sure, because he could do most jobs at a company at an extremely high level. At Yammer, I sat in very few meetings with him. You know, we were separated by a couple layers of management. When he invested in Mode, I learned that he had thought highly of my work and understood that that I had done a good job and that my co-founders had done a good job at Yammer. And for me, it was a little bit of like, oh, really? Like, okay, that's great. I think super highly of him and, and I love having him as an investor and to be able to bounce stuff off of it occasionally. Do you think about like with the deluge of data and kind of the seemingly infinite paths in that case, where in the stack, because you know, there's this this BI notion of, and I know you're not BI, but there's this BI notion of like, all right, I took a bunch of your data and I gave you a bunch of graphs, right? And like, there you go, like, you know, solved your problem, right? And I don't want to name names because some of them you compete with, some of them don't, and I, I'm not sure which ones is in which bucket. But like, when you think about that kind of solution of, let's say, the first wave or second wave of BI here, was that the right move? Is that move like dead over time? Or is it more like we're going to a world where people will actually learn to, you know, interface with the data in a way that, you know, is a little bit more technical when they, where they are now, but isn't quite the like drag and drop, like let's just set up a bunch of graphs, you know, kind of concept. It's a tremendously complex and broad question. Intentionally broad. So I think a couple of things are happening. Everyone is developing a greater technical facility, both in the way that they work with data and, and the way that they work with any type of automation. So, you know, students today learn how to program. But I have a two-year-old. I have every expectation that she will be an outstanding programmer, regardless of the occupation that she chooses. Like, she could go be an artist, but, like, I'll make sure that her primary education includes like computer science fundamentals and the ability to actually go code up a website if she wants. What that means for data professionals is specialization, I think. Certainly there will be very specialized fields like computer vision, for example, where people will do PhDs and continue to do advanced research. But in general, I think we'll start to see like higher degrees of specialization within like pockets of 
data analysis. The average person is going to get better at this stuff. Doesn't mean they should be writing SQL queries all day, right? Like if your job is to manage marketing campaigns, you should spend your time thinking. And actually, Mode's mission, the mission statement, is about unlocking and accelerating human reasoning, right? Mode unlocks and accelerates human reasoning. That's the first line of our mission statement. And the reason that that's the first line is there's a thing that humans can do that machines can't and won't be able to do for a very, very long time, which is think through problems in a creative way. Like lateral thinking is a human skill that's very hard to automate. Take, for example, a question about pricing. How should we price and package our product? Which is my favorite example of this like because it's so complex. It's not just a go-to-market question. It's about who uses your product. What is the proper segmentation of those users, right? What features of your product should belong in different pricing tiers that map to those segments? Are you building your pricing to incentivize people to move up or for where people are today? What are the competitors pricing at, right? Both in terms of dollars, but also in terms of the structure and metrics that they use. So for us, we have some competitors who price on a user basis. We have some who price according to how much data you use. And the where mode falls competitively is gonna depend on the customer and what is better for them. So all of this stuff is relevant it's basically impossible for a computer to come to the right answer on its own today. And so what we want is for people to be able to do the supporting analysis quickly so they can spend all of their time thinking through how to do the analysis, right? Like as a human being, 90% of your job should be thinking about how to get the answer and what the right answer should be in the structure of the problem. And then 10% should be executing it. Right now it's flipped, it's the other way, right? People spend 10% and then it just takes so long to actually get to the answer that we're wasting human intellect here, we're wasting human reasoning yeah. by forcing those same people to spend a lot of time doing the work. So I don't think that what we end up with is every single person is doing data analysis work as part of their core job. I think what Mode's aim is here, if, if we are successful, what we will achieve here is that there will be core analysts and data scientists who spend a lot of time thinking through these problems and doing the work, but for them and for everyone else at the company, they're able to spend their time thinking through problems and then leverage work that has already been done very easily to create new work that answers the specific question at hand, right? Everything should be building off of something that has come before rather than starting from scratch, which is a very big problem in this industry right now. That's what's gonna be the thing that gets us from spending a lot of time doing analysis to like really thinking through it and getting to the right answers. On that point, right, there's the, you know, the hierarchy of, you know, data analysis, right? And I forget who came up with this originally, but you have data analytics, insights, outcomes, right? There's always some variation depending on the noun that people use, right? And so what you're kind of talking about is let's handle the analytics, whether it's reporting or not, so that it's easier to get to insights, right? Do you think that there's something else besides like infrastructure that helps us bridge that gap quickly? Like, is there some other advancement that comes with data? Is it, you know, I know everyone goes to AI, right? AI is like the magic thing that's going to solve everything, right? Theoretically, and also bring the end of the world. But what's your kind of take there on like, how do you bridge that gap without just infrastructure? Or maybe the answer is just infrastructure. What does infrastructure mean to you exactly? So if you think about, like you said, the 10 to 90%, right? Right now, it's either for some problems, you have to use multiple tools. For some problems, like you're, you know, you just don't have like the right database structure figured out for the actual data to be stored or, you know, easily retrieved. You have to layer a reporting tool on top of it sometimes. Sometimes you have, you know, you have to know SQL or you have to know Python or you have to know something else. Like 
in a very broad sense, this is all like infrastructure, right? Like how do you make it easy to take the data and turn it into analytics and then you as a human kind of like figure things out? But like, is there something that helps bridge that analytics and insights bridge a little bit easier, do you think, besides just better infrastructure? If it's okay with you, I think I'd prefer to tell you why we've taken the particular tack that we have. In doing so, I'll give you my opinion on infrastructure. That's well. great. Yeah. Yeah. You know more about this, so much more about this than I do. So it's great. Maybe a couple of years ago, I listened to Brian Chesky on Reed Hoffman's podcast. He talks about the 10-star Airbnb check-in being like, you get off an airplane and the red carpet is rolled out and there's a thousand screaming fans and it's, you know, fantasy land, right? Like when I think about my Airbnb experience, I never even consider that. But hey, it's possible. And theoretically, it's possible. And so that's where we're going to set the benchmark for the best. And then we're going to work backward from there and figure out how close we can get. I really love this framework. And so I apply that to mode. And I think most people would agree with me that the ultimate data analysis software is something that looks like Google, where you just type in a question and instantly you get back the answer. Sounds great, right? So then how close are we? Well, let's take ThoughtSpot, okay? So ThoughtSpot seems to agree with this in principle because if you look at their interface, that's what it looks like. It's a search box. The thing about it, though, if you get under the hood, is you realize it's actually the same as Tableau or, or Domo or any other BI tool in that, like, well, when you type in your search box, you have to adhere to a particular syntax, and that syntax is limited to stuff that's already been specified. So, like, if you want to know revenue, you're going to get whatever metric for revenue has been already put into the system, and you have to type it out in the search box in a way that's like, show me revenue for these product categories for this time period. You could achieve the exact same thing in Tableau. So there's no new technology here. It's just a different interface for the same stuff. And so the question is, well, what's the gap between that and being able to type into the search box, how should I price and package my product? And the answer is it's a huge gap. It is a decades long gap in terms of like the work that's gonna have to be done to get there because in order to have a computer just understand how do I price and package my product, it's gonna to have to know that this is a product question, it's gonna to have to do the segmentation, like it's gonna to have to know how to break this into 50 sub-questions, consider which ones are worth answering, answer them and bring it back together into an answer. So I think we're very, very far away, and for that reason, I don't think that that's the correct path, accelerating and unlocking human reasoning, right? The thing that I care about. Let's take a different path. Okay, so that's the 10 star experience and we're working backward, right? So, so one direction you could go is you could take that interface and work backward and just like, let's, let's use the interface and try and make the stuff under the hood better and better to try and get to the, the eventual nirvana. The other option is, what if we forego that interface? What's a different interface for this? And management consulting, I think, is a very good one, right? Management consulting, you can give it the question. It's much slower than ThoughtSpot, but you can get the answer to exactly the question that you've asked. You get very detailed explanation. It's just slow and expensive. But that's where mode is optimizing, right? So like, okay, what's the cheaper version of management consulting? Just hire them yourself, right? Build your own data capability at your company, analytics, data science team, whatever it might be. Great, that's a start. Okay, then what? How do we continue to make that angle better and better such that you get the feeling of, I'm gonna ask a question and I'm gonna get back an answer instantly. I don't think I'm giving anything away here by saying this, but this is a little bit the mode secret sauce. The way to make that a great experience is very similar to Quora. Quora nails this, right? You wanna go to ask a question in Quora, you type in a question and what they do is they say, oh, well, someone else asked that question already and it's been answered by like four experts, so here you go. Great, that's the fastest way, always, right? 
oh, there's no answer to that question yet? Well, if you'd like to ask it, here you go. And by the way, we'll recommend some experts and go ping them so that maybe they can answer it for you. This is how data analysis should work at the company, right? Like, oh, you have a question? Well, here's three dashboards that might give you some indication, right? Here's an analysis with some narrative in it that was done last year. Like, you wanna know about pricing? Here's the last pricing study that got done. Here's the relevant dashboards that are connected to that. Here are the people at the company who are experts in this if you wanna ask a question. Like, that gets you a, lot, a long way. You can borrow that and take it a little bit further. And so, from my perspective, the closest that we get to that 10-star experience at the moment does not look like ThoughtSpot. It looks like Quora. It looks like a place where people can go and access each other's work and have that be a fast and seamless process. So in terms of how we get there, I mean, your original question for me was about infrastructure. I do think that infrastructure in the sense of like using software to facilitate that is going to be necessary to make the types of advancements that we need. Culturally, we have to do other things that go along with this. Like, first off, you have to have a culture of, of maintaining this stuff so that when people go into the system to get the answer, they're getting something that's valid or correct. But you also need the type of culture where people are going to go do that, right? Where they're going to bother asking the question in the first place. And that's a little bit of a chicken or an egg problem because like if you want to ask the question, then you go and do the software, right? If you have the software, do you necessarily go ask the question? Maybe, I don't know. That's the path from my perspective. Not to take something you said previously, it's kind of like instead of just going this linear path, and that taking decades, you're kind of skipping to the end a little bit. Where I think a lot of like BI and reporting tools have gone wrong is kind of, hey, data's in one place, the customer support rep can pull whatever data they he or she needs, right? And there's a bit of an education and, and a little bit of that culture gap that you're talking about that I think takes place inside an organization where, as you said, there's some people who should be specialized and can answer any question like the management consultant. And then eventually there's enough iterations where that, that support rep can ask a question, maybe find what they need or maybe find something that's you know updated consistently. And then if not, still go to that specialized group to find that particular answer. The core metaphor I think is perfect because I think too many people have taken a, I guess I don't know what the alternative metaphor would be, but too many people have taken the, hey, you need to buy a BI tool? Here's basically you know a data lake and then you know, some SQL queries on top of it, which, you know, is not, not quite the answer. I think there is an important thing here, which is I don't believe that data is inherently valuable. And that might be a hot take in our industry. But the thing that's take. valuable is the analysis on top of it, right? Like searching through data, the notion of like a Git for your data, I see kind of limited applications at the moment. There are applications, but they're, but they're mostly in the machine learning world and other more advanced applications. In terms of understanding what's happening at the business, I think the matter is just the real kind of atomic unit is analysis. And that's part of why we don't have the word data. Like now we own mode.com, which is pretty cool, but it used to be modeanalytics.com and not mode data for this exact reason. That's what was really interesting is like the first couple waves of this was we just were trying to get all the data into one place. That was the hardest thing, you know, for a while. And it's still really hard. But now it's, you know, how do we actually make this useful? Like, it's not a hot take to me, the whole fact that data is inherently useful. It's the analysis of the insights and then ultimately what you do with it that that ultimately is, is so, so powerful. I guess what I'm curious about is like, you know, you kind of explained this before, but like, what do you think about from a cultural perspective, how do we need to shift? Now, you mentioned, you know, your daughter is going to know computer science, right? And how does a company get beyond like, 
all right, the board said we need a BI, you know, tool, let's hire an analyst, let's throw a tool in there and check mark, we did it and it'll be hopefully useful, right? Like how do we get beyond that to, hey, let's be really thoughtful about this, even if we don't have enough knowledge to really like make the decision ourselves, because maybe we don't have a BI team or we, you know, have engineering, but not really data science. Like how do we get there? It's going to vary industry by industry, company by company. The shortest answer I can give you is just write to sales at modeanalytics.com. I love it. And we will happily explain this to you. But truthfully, you know, we are differentiated from these other folks in this perspective. And a lot of our customers buy mode because of our philosophy as much as because of the software. The two go hand in hand, right? This is software with a particular perspective on, on how this ought to work and where the world is going. And if it sounds right to you, then you should come talk to us about it and we can like walk you through how you might make that happen at your company. But in general, what I would say is, you know, most folks, when they say that they are data-driven, what they mean is that they look at a dashboard. Sales is a really good example. So if you talk to a data-driven sales leader, what that person probably means is that they just are religious about checking dashboards all the time, making sure that people are doing the right activities, that everyone's pipeline is in the right place, and so on and so forth, right? They're confirming that work is being done and that things are happening as expected. But that's different from a sales leader who is you know, working with their operations person or their data scientist to figure out which segments they should double down on. Two different things. We see a lot of thing number one today. We see less of thing number two. So it really is just like an investment and a desire to get to thing number two. You got to recognize that you want that first. I think a lot of people think they want it, but aren't willing to make an investment. That's thing number one. And then once you get there, the data analysis is only worth doing if it's going to change your mind, right? So if you are just confirming your existing beliefs, this is not going to be worth the investment to you. You need to be ready to make decisions that feel uncomfortable as a result. And in fact, if all you're going to do is confirm your existing beliefs, don't do any data analysis at all because it's just going to slow you down. You'll move faster if you don't do it, right? So if you intend to just go on instinct, throw it all away. What's really interesting about that is I think, for one, I don't know if there's enough education about if you are not like a data centric or data scientist or someone who at least appreciates that. I don't think there's enough education on trying to train those types of folks to interact with the BI team, et cetera. And that's why there's this gap sometimes between like, oh yeah, we need this and I guess, you know, we'll figure it out. And a lot of it ends up also being like exactly like you said, it's because they're not actually willing to use it and they're just kind of checking a box, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's like the number one failure mode for all this stuff is people only want to use it to confirm the stuff that they already believe. It's painful. We have a pricing product, you know, software and team. And the reason it's not a uh, pure software product is for the exact reasons that you talked about. We tried to do a pure software product. Then we ran into not only a giant trust gap, they can be told that, hey, you should treat it just like product development or just like marketing development. But oftentimes they don't believe it because they've never done it before and it feels weird and they have anxiety over it. But the other reason is because it's a really hard problem to have unless you like chunk it down into like smaller products to handle certain things, right? But we've had that plenty of times where like someone brings us in because the board, you know, they install the product, all these other things. And then we have dead to rights, the right analysis, like just perfect picture, perfect data, statistical significance and boom. No, we're still going to go with this. Like they just never were willing. They were just kind of checking the box. And so it, it gets interesting. I do wonder how much that will change candidly. I mean, people are people. They want to trust their own opinions. I'm told founders in particular are really bad about this. 
you know, we have customers like DoorDash and Lyft and Twitch and Anheuser-Busch on the enterprise side, Bloomberg, you know, big companies that have really thought about how to do business and that are really effective in the ways that they do business. And especially when you look at a company like Twitch, right? Like just super, super focused and super capable in this regard and has seen real measurable results from certain analyses that they've done. That's what spurs it forward, right? And people recognize that the best companies do this stuff. I mean, like you take Lyft, for example, and my understanding having not worked there, but my understanding of the business is that like, the caliber of the business depends on how good they are at data science. Because, you know, their margin is about how accurately they can predict the cost of when you call your ride, having that person get to you and then take you where you're going. Yeah. It is kind of interesting too, because I find myself asking like, does this need to change? And I think intuitively, no matter the market, is going to kind of drag you kicking and screaming unless you essentially have enough money to guess and check or enough time to guess and check. But even then, like there's going to be a point where competitively it's just going to get that you can't do that because there'll be enough other people either doing this or with the money or with the time. So I don't know. It'll be interesting, you know, because it's a human problem. It's a confirmation bias problem that we've been fighting for millennia at this point. So we'll see. Awesome, man. Well, wrap things up. Like where can people find you? Anything else you want to plug? All that kind of fun stuff. Sure. If you want to reach me, my email address is Derek, D-E-R-E-K at modeanalytics.com. I am on Twitter at Derek Steer. I'm not really on Twitter, but yeah, you can hit me up. You know, I'll respond if you hit me up. Obviously, if you want to check out Mode, Mode is at Mode, M-O-D-E dot com. And like I said, if you're interested in these questions for the sake of your own business, trying to improve your maturity in the way that you work with data, or even just like, you know, want to talk to some folks who have, have seen what great looks like, feel free to reach out and, and we'll be happy to help out however we can. That's awesome. You guys have really good content just around not only like the nitty gritty stuff, I think, like if you're an actual, you know, data scientist or someone of that sort, but also for someone who's more of a business focus that isn't as strong, but, you know, can kind of educate you on it. So I would check that stuff out. Awesome, yeah, Derek. Thanks. I appreciate it, man. All right, Patrick. Thanks, man. Thanks to Derek for lending his time to the podcast. Now you have a clearer picture of how to make data-driven decisions in this episode, we talked about two infrastructure shifts with data, having a love affair with caution, unlocking and accelerating human reasoning, the 10-star experience, and we questioned the inherent value of data. Oh, and if you want to support ProfitWell and the show, we would appreciate it if you left a five-star review of this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen and watch. The podcast gods tend to like that type of thing, and we like to appease the podcast gods. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest-growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. Subscriptions.